Very good morning and the blessed fourth Sunday of the Lent. I trust the Lord has been working in each one of us throughout this season as we reflect on the Lord's grace in our lives. This Sunday, we'll continue our series on 2 Samuel, now looking at David, how David reflected God's kindness in his life. All right, thank you. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Gracious Lord, we pray that as we reflect on your word, your Holy Spirit will mold and transform us to reflect the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, we saw how God enabled David to defeat and subdue the surrounding tribes to secure the nation of Israel. With the Lord enabling David's victories over the enemies of Israel, uh, the kingdom has now a more secure base to grow and thrive. Sometime during this period of consolidation and establishing the kingdom, structuring his administration, David is now at or is approaching the height of his powers. But instead of indulging in the self-satisfied complacent rule, uh, David remembers his obligations to his closest friend and companion, Jonathan, who was the son of the late King Saul, and both Saul and, and Jonathan were killed, if you recall, in a battle against the Philistines. The death of Saul, of course, cleared the way for David to assume the throne as God's chosen king. When a new king assumes the throne in ancient times, it's quite common for the king to eliminate all possible rivals to the throne, including members of the same family. But here, David remembers the commitment and loyalty that he and Jonathan shared when David first served King Saul many years before. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, we read that Jonathan made a covenant with David after the defeat of Goliath and the Philistines. This was a covenant of sworn friendship and loyalty to one another. In time, King Saul began to fear David's rising success and influence and tried to have him killed. In the course of events, David calls on Jonathan's help with a plea based on their covenant commitment to one another. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8, David said, As for you, show kindness to your servant. That is David referring to himself. Show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. Now do take uh, note of two key words here. Kindness and covenant something which will be important for our understanding later. After Jonathan ascertained that Saul really wanted David killed, Jonathan helped David to get safely away. At their parting, their covenant pledge was renewed this way in the words of Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, uh, verse 42. Uh, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So that's the backstory. Now, as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David is on the throne after many years, 
since his covenant pledge with Jonathan, David remembers his co- the commitment they made with one another. Now, how many of you know that uh, serious commitments are easy to make and very easy to also neglect, right? According to the security expectations of the time, David could have eliminated Saul's family, especially potential rivals to the throne, since Jonathan's son uh, would be considered a royal family. But David chose righteousness and faithfulness to God in choosing to be faithful to his commitments with Jonathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness for Jonathan's sake. Kindness for the sake of a covenant relationship. It's the same basis of commitment we last saw between David and Jonathan years earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 20. In both cases, the Hebrew word for kindness is used, which is kasid. This is one of the most important words in the Old Testament, and it is a challenging word to translate into English because there's no single English word that adequately captures the full range of meanings that this Hebrew word carries. But kasid carries the idea of loving kindness, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness, often within the context of a covenant relationship. And David's heart was filled with this covenant faithfulness and loyal love to his friend Jonathan. It was the basis of David's actions and decisions that overrides self-interest. It's possibly one of the key reasons why the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, because Kassid is one of the most important defining characteristics of God himself, as we will see. As both David and Jonathan acknowledge, their covenant relationship is, is made with the Lord as the anchor witness to their commitment. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, David is more specific about this covenant kindness when he says, Is there no one alive, still alive, from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? When David is showing covenant kindness, he's actually showing God's kindness. And this was the basis that uh, David came to show God's kindness to Mephibosheth. The big idea for us today, then, is a devoted church is one that experiences God's kindness and shows God's kindness to one another and to others. There are three key areas that would help us understand what it means to show God's kindness. First, the source of kindness. Second, the measure of kindness. And third, the practice of kindness. First, the source of kindness. As mentioned earlier, David was clear that his source of his kindness for the sake of Jonathan was God himself. David wanted to show God's kindness to any of Saul's remaining family line. From their earliest experience with God, Israel learned this foundational truth of God's covenant faithfulness and love. In the Ten Commandments, we find that God shows his covenant faithfulness and love to those who love him and keep his commandments. We find this in Exodus chapter 20, showing love, seed, to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. In Exodus chapter 34, it is also how the Lord declared about himself as he revealed his glory to Moses. In Exodus 34 verse 6, this is what the Lord says as he passed through Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in seed and faithfulness. The nation of Israel was chosen to be the source of God's revelation of himself. Nations would come to know God's truth and character when they came into contact with Israel, including negative experiences when they experienced God's deliverance for Israel. But foreigners around Israel could come to know God through his revelation of the covenant law as given to Moses. Israel's bonds and neighborly relations within the, gov- uh, within the community was, were, were governed by this covenant law. Now, a society can only function well if there's a bond of communal trust, mutual obligations to one another in, for the overall welfare of the community. And that's true, generally. But even more importantly for Israel's community, their sense of righteousness, fairness, compassion within the society were to be based on God's character. As the Lord commanded the people, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. This mutual sense of righteousness, faithfulness and compassion toward one another is not something that is based on whim or convenience or whether one feels like it or not. It was a faith response because that is how they experience God's faithful love and compassion. And the Psalms are filled with expressions of God's steadfast love and mercy. Because of your love, your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And the Lord who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with his faithful love, his conceit and compassion. Even when Israel ultimately failed in their kasih, their covenant faithfulness with God, when they went after foreign gods and idols and so suffered God's judgment into exile, their one and only hope was that God's kasih love would not fail. That even in the darkest hour of their sin or failure and judgment, that God will still remember His faithful love and promises to Israel. In Isaiah chapter 54, God says to his people in verse 8, In the search of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. And in verse 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you, God's kindness and covenant together. Israel had broken faith with the Lord, but the Lord cannot change his character because of faithful love and mercy. He will uphold his concede, his covenant for the sake of his name, so that God will not fail to show mercy and compassion to his people. We cannot give what we do not have. That's a fundamental principle. To show God's kindness, we must first experience God's unsurpassed loving kindness ourselves. This is not something we can earn. This is something to receive by faith. To really show God's compassion and mercy, we first experience the breath 
of God's undeserved compassion and mercies for ourselves through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. We have to experience God's resurrection hope, His hope for the future in showing compassion and kindness to those around us today. And so the totality of our life is lived under God's unfailing love and compassion. We are kept whole, we are made whole, we are made complete with God's loving kindness and faithfulness. And so the source of all goodness and kindness in us is God himself. And so here's our first takeaway. Have you received God's loving kindness by faith in Jesus Christ? Second, the measure of kindness. What we give is a measure of how much we have received from God. We saw earlier that David based the act of kindness to Mephibosheth on God's kindness when he said in uh, Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, is there no one still alive from the house of Samuel, uh, for the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? David understood that the goodness and kindness he's able to give is because of God's, God's own loving kindness to David. David is able to give much because he has received much from the Lord. Previously, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, we saw David simply awestruck and overwhelmed when God revealed his covenant promise to David to establish his family line on the throne of Israel. And he says, who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. The strength of God's faithfulness and promise and mercy to David was beyond his imagination. So David's capacity for showing God's kindness comes from the wellspring of experiencing God's kindness for himself. We also saw previously David himself could not build God's temple. His son Solomon would be the one to build the temple, but uh, David made all the early preparations, the planning for the temple, including asking the people to give generously to the work of the temple as he had personally done so himself. And so when David dedicated the contributions of the people to the building of the temple, David prays this way to God in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. What we give is a measure of what we have received from the Lord. Therefore, those who have received much have the capacity to give much. Not simply charity, you understand, but demonstrating God's character and kindness, including love, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Oh, this is the one uh, that David prayed. Everything we have given you comes from your hand. And this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, 
and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Jesus is um, describing um, a generous grain seller in the marketplace. Uh, when a customer comes and buys some grains, the seller will use that measuring cup or the measuring container to, to scoop up the grain. And so a generous um, seller will scoop up the grain and he will shake the cup or the container so that the grain will settle down, it will be pressed down to make room for more grain to be added. So, in other words, the, the, the seller will make sure that you get more than you expect, basically. But Jesus takes a step further and describes uh, God's generosity not, as, not only as shaking down the container to fill more, but also to fill it until it overflows in abundance onto the folds of one garment, the robe, onto the folds of one garment at that time. So that is a super abundant measure. And that is the measure of God's generosity to those who are generous in showing His love, kindness and mercy to others. The implication? For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God shows generosity to those who reflect and shows His generosity. Paul also teaches this truth when he encourages the Corinthian church to give generously to the collection to help the church in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In this context, Paul is referring to the material help and provisions for the church in Jerusalem. They, are facing, they were facing some difficulties. This is certainly part of the nature of showing God's kindness by supplying the needs of those who lack provisions. And Paul goes on to say in verse 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And in verse 10, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this is not a mathematical, this is not a mathematical formula to ensure God's blessing for material prosperity. This is about sincerely trusting in God's provision to increase our capacity to show kindness, mercy, and provision. It's not about increasing our lifestyle standards. It's about abounding in every good work and the harvest of righteousness in seeing lives transformed when we are used as channels of God's kindness. In fact, the experience of God's provision often happens precisely in times when our faith is tested to give generously because of challenges or when sacrifice is required or when there's persecution, when there's an economic crisis. Now, to be generous with showing God's kindness in the specific areas of finances still requires proper stewardship, discernment, and wisdom in managing God's resources in our lives. We do have a serious financial responsibilities to ensure proper care and provision for family and loved ones. But we must not use wisdom and discernments as reasons not to be generous when we are in a position to help others. 
if our hearts are open to God's Spirit, we will find that God's provisions never lack as we bless others, as His Spirit convicts us. If we are living in step with the Spirit, we will find that we are able to give beyond what we think possible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 2, we read Paul's description of the Macedonian churches. Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's quite possible that uh, believers in places like Philippi and uh, Thessalonica, Macedonia, uh, they, they were facing severe persecution at that time because of their faith. Their faith to the Lord Jesus Christ um, caused them to withdraw from temple worship, uh, which was part of the community life and the commercial life of the city. So by their faith, um, they were probably excluded from a lot of the uh, commercial transactions uh, with their neighbours and within the community. So, you know, if you were a small businessman, a tradesman, a merchant, you would find your level of business drastically reduced. So that was probably their, their severe trial, and that was the context of their generous giving. Now, first of all, um, In verse 1, notice that it was God who gave them the grace, which I believe includes the conviction and impetus of the Holy Spirit to give generously. So it was not some uh, um, irresponsible financial act or financial irresponsibility for them to give generously. No, it was their hearts being stirred by the grace that God put in them. But once their heart responded to God's divine grace in verse 2, their capacity to show God's kindness expanded such that rich generosity abounded from their extreme poverty and overflowing joy. As I said earlier, God's desire, is not to, God's desire to bless is not focused on rich lifestyles, but on increasing our capacity to have rich generosity. The actual amount may not be large, but it's not the largeness of the amount that counts the most, it is hearts enlarged by God's grace that honors the Lord. As Paul would say in uh, verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So for our second key takeaway, God's grace and blessings enable us to be richly generous, not selfishly prosperous. Third, the practice of kindness. Showing God's kindness often involves preparation and intentionality. When David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, he did not just give a token measure and let the matter be put to rest. David put a process in place to ensure the ongoing welfare of Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7, David says, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. 
In verse 10, David instructs Ziba, uh, Saul's former steward, this way. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bringing the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. So there are two key ways in which David practiced his kindness to Mephibosheth. First, allocating lands that once belonged to David, uh, Saul's family to be used to farm and harvest crops as a means of income and provisions for him. And second, providing uh, him a seat at his table, signifying that he is under David's protection and providing a place of honour for him. In other words, we see David practising kindness in a way that is sustainable for ongoing provisions and at the same time accords dignity to the recipients. Generosity should not be shown in a begrudging way or in a way that puts down the recipients. David's kindness had intentionality and process behind it that maximizes the benefit to the recipient. We may not always be in a position to do that in every instance, but it's something to be prayerful about. Our uh, social concerns ministry is aware that we should not simply just give funds, that there should be some ongoing effort to build and sustain relationships with those we are helping as far as it is possible. The missions team also makes it the point to have missionaries engaged with our church community so that they are not just faceless names that we support, but we are given the opportunity to engage with them on a personal basis for support and encouragement. In terms of process, at our church level, communities would provision ahead of time, at the beginning of the year, budgets for supporting those in need or, or for missionaries, for example. And of course, you know that we practice Holy Communion uh, offerings on a monthly basis to be channeled to the poor. Now, at a personal level, we could be also prayerful about putting intentionality or process in place to set aside funds for the work of God's kingdom. For some, it could be automatically channeling the tithe and for other ministry support at certain times in a month, for example, when the paycheck comes in. There's intentionality. Um, it's not something like you kind of think on a monthly basis, oh, should I or should I not? There is some process um, in place uh, for us to show uh, God's kindness. Having a, a regular process to put aside funds or time for showing God's kindness demonstrates trust in God's provision and supply as we live for Christ. More than just fund allocation, kindness includes all expressions of mercy, compassion, and goodness as we show that we show to others. Intentionality in kindness is to give or serve with a prayerful spirit on how God intends to work in a specific situation or for a particular individual or family you might be helping. It could include helping someone to find employment or set up a small business. It may include you using your contacts or influence to find opportunities that will help an individual or family. Showing God's kindness often involves sacrifice on our part. Even David, secured and strong as king, was sacrificing his interests and security of the throne by providing support to a potential rival to the throne since Saul's family could still have support among certain tribes, like Benjamin, uh, Saul's old tribe, Saul's former tribe, 
and former retainers of the former king. We saw earlier that the Macedonian churches gave out from their extreme poverty. The widow in the Gospels who gave two coins to honour God gave everything she had. The boy who offered the five loaves and two fish to feed the great multitude would have realised that he's probably not going to get to eat since there were thousands of people to feed. So showing God's kindness often involves sacrifice on our part. But why? Why can't God supply directly, miraculously? In the New Testament, Christians are called the royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And as priests, we bring sacrifices of our praise, our prayer, our worship to the Lord. And I believe the sacrifices of our services, our time, our resources to the work for God's kingdom. God could have supplied all needs directly, but he often chooses to work with his people and through his people to display his goodness and kindness. That is why we are co-laborers with the Lord. And God is obviously able to multiply whatever we sacrificially give to multiple full harvests for the building of his kingdom. So in bringing the needs of the people in prayer before the Lord, and in offering sacrifices of our gifts, service, and time, and provisions, we are living as the royal priesthood in the kingdom of God's Son. And so as the Lord leads you in living sacrificially and generously for the sake of His kingdom, be prayerful and be mindful that you're not merely performing charity or volunteering a service. You are offering a sacrifice to the Lord who shows you his kindness, who loves you and provides for you, so that in every way you may abound in every good work and reap a harvest of righteousness. So I'd like to end by praying for us at this time. I'd like to invite you to come before the presence of the Lord. And if there's any here, that have not personally experienced God's loving kindness for yourself. You may have been coming to church for a while, but you have never have seemed to experience God's loving kindness and provision, His compassion. I'd like to pray for you. But I'd like to also pray for all of us that God will increase our capacity. He will increase our capacity to show kindness and generosity. Father, into your presence, Lord, we come humbly. Lord, we come with various cares and concerns. We come with various anxieties about future, about finances, about our health. But Lord, in your presence, we are reminded once again, Lord, that you are a God of unfailing love, of covenant faithfulness, a God who fails not to give compassion and mercy, a God who never fails to provide for the needs of His people, a God who is a rock and refuge to those who put their trust in You and turn to You. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, some who may not have experienced You in a real and personal way, I pray, Lord, that you will make your love abound, that by your loving spirit, you will draw us to surrender our lives to you. 
If you have not responded to the Lord's loving kindness, I invite you to cry to Him. Heavenly Father, I'm unworthy, but you are merciful. By faith, I come and surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill my heart with your loving kindness and salvation. Heal the hurts in me. Heal the fears in me with your mercy and with your loving kindness. We pray, Lord, for those of us here who lack, who are in need, who may be in distress. Father, we know that you are faithful and we pray in the hour of need that you will make your mercy, your kindness, your healing, your provision abound greatly to everyone opening their hearts to you right now, crying out with you, to you right now. But Lord, a lot of us here have been blessed over and over with your loving kindness, with your mercy and compassion. We have poured out your love into our hearts, into our lives. We pray by faith, even at this moment, that you will increase our capacity because of your blessings that abound, that you will increase our capacity to show your loving kindness, to give generously, to provide mercy, forgiveness, and love to our own families and to those around us. All this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.